athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You got a lot to be smiling for. Welcome once again to another edition of Box to Row, the dopest show on radio. I am your host, Donald Ware. Missed you guys last week. I, I took a, a little mini vacay, as a matter of fact, and went to the mountains. So the last couple of uh, last couple of last month, I've I've been out for a couple of weeks, and uh, so I think I'm back. Well, I am back, but I mean, I think I'm I, I I'm back in terms of um, you know resting on the vacations a little bit. It's time to get back to work. I mean, we're less than 30 days away. From the start of the HBCU football season, um, as a matter of fact, on August 25th, A&T going to be in action, Edward Waters going to be in action, and Prairie View A&M going to be at, in action. Prairie View A&M plays Rice, and then, of course, A&T plays against Jacksonville State in that FCS uh, kickoff classic. As a matter of fact, it's going to be aired on ESPN, and it's going to be played in Montgomery, Alabama. And... You know, now is the time where, um, you know, I, I've taken all of the vacation I'm going to take. I mean, I may get a, get a getaway here and there on the weekend, but it's it's serious business now uh, with respect to HBCU football as we are now inside of 30 days to the kickoff of the HBCU football season. As a matter of fact, hopefully you've gotten an early jump on the HBCU football season as you've hopefully been tuned in to our HBCU football Daily podcast began on June the 19th. We started things off um, with Cheney um, and uh, well, not with Cheney. Excuse me. We started things off with uh, I forget actually now, um, but we started this thing back on June 19th. It may have been uh, Edward Waters. Actually, that's who we started off with. Um, and uh, boy, I tell you what, we're already up to the MEAC. As a matter of fact, on Friday, a preview of North Carolina Central and um, so with that being said, um, um, we're going to talk a lot of HBCU football today here on the program. The preseason predictions um, are in for all of the conferences. As a matter of fact, the SIAC, the CIAA, the SWAC, and then the MEAC had its annual luncheon on Friday. We'll, we'll probably talk a little more MEAC football on next week, but. Um, I want to talk a lot about HBCU football here on the program today and uh, talk about some of those preseason predictions and what to kind of expect during this football season. Also today on the program to again help promote the HBCU football daily podcast. And one of the really cool things about the podcast this year, and we started this podcast on last year, we've had a lot of the coaches 
to come on and talk about their programs. As a matter of fact, I think, the, you know, Texas Southern head football coach Michael Haywood came on the program. I don't think we had had him on or have had him on botched to row to this point, but he came on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. And what's cool, really cool about the podcast, well, first of all, for you, what's really cool about the podcast, when you log on to our website at BoxToRow.com, you can either listen to the podcast right there online or you can download the podcast as well. But what, what's also really cool is we have a lot more time. So w- within our segments here on the program, um, just to kind of break it down for maybe those that don't know radio or, or, or what have you. I mean, our first segment is typically around, you know, 14 minutes or so. Second segment, 13 minutes. Third segment is around 14 minutes. And our final segment um, is around 13 minutes or so. So a lot of times you have to kind of shorten the, the questions and um, that you're going to ask the coaches. Some coaches um, uh, are going to really expound on the question that you ask them. Some coaches may may not be as much, which is perfectly fine. But what the podcast allows us to do, it it allows the coaches to speak freely further. I may have I don't typically write my questions down. I kind of do my research and have thoughts in terms of what I'm going to ask the coaches. But I may jot some notes down here or there. But if it, over the course of the time when they're talking, another they may say something that may trigger me, prompt me to ask another question and so what the podcast allows for us to do there's no not necessarily a time limit on the podcast it allows us to go really in depth with a lot of these coaches um i mean i always have a great time with with a guy like a rod reed the head football coach at tennessee state we you know i mean when you talk with him you we we really get into the depth of what's happening with the tennessee state tigers who by the way were picked to finish sixth in the OBC, which I think, you know, and we'll talk more about this as we talk about Tennessee State. I think that's a little bit low um, for the Tigers. Now, in all fairness, they didn't have a very good season last year. While they had a six and five record, their record in the OBC was a losing record and lost some games they probably should not have lost. But I think they're going to bounce back this year. They they are, are, are having some. They've had some guys that have come in. Um, they've had some D1 guys to come in also. They're, they're going to have some guys that are going to bounce back from injury also. So we'll maybe talk a little bit uh, about Tennessee State and their program today here on Botch to Row. But again, the podcast allows for you or for us, it, it, it's not scripted. You know, we don't have a, a time limit per se. I mean, we don't want to go, you know, we're, we're not trying to, you know, make it a full version of Botch to Row. But, you know, we get a chance to really talk with some of the coaches. And I think so of all the podcasts, excuse me, that we've done so far, I think um, maybe just a handful. We didn't we weren't able to catch up with the coach. And in that instance, then either I'll come on and talk about the program or we'll get a radio play by play man or, or maybe somebody that covers the uh, program or the respective program in that area. So the daily podcast is really, really cool. And if you haven't had a chance to listen again, go to our website, boxerow.com on the right hand side, you'll see the banner that says HBCU football daily podcast and listen to your favorite team, listen to them as a whole. And why don't you share that information with someone who is a big fan of HBCU football. And and from now until August 25th, we're going to, 
really dive in to the HBCU football season. We're going to talk about some other things here on the program as well. I want to talk about Todd Gurley, the running back for the Rams, who got the big deal, four years, $60 million. And we know that NFL contracts are not guaranteed, but the the guarantee part of it is that he got four, uh, well, NFL contracts as a whole. So in other words, you know, they could say after two years, they could cut, Todd Gurley, but the guarantee money, which we've seen a lot of the guarantee money really flourish. I don't know what the last seven, eight years or so we've really seen that guarantee money flourish. And that's a good thing because NFL contracts are not guaranteed. Um, Todd Gurley is going to be guaranteed $45 million, the highest paid running back of all time. And so you have to ask yourself, does this open the door now to Le'Veon Bell, uh, of the Pittsburgh Steelers or even a Dave Johnson of the Cardinals who who want to get paid now for for Bell his situation is such that he's playing on a franchise tag this is the second year of the franchise tag uh that the Steelers have franchised Bell um so he's set to make 14 million dollars this year I mean that's that's great you know that's really really good for Bell um but he wants a long-term deal uh, when you talk about running backs in the league and you talk about versatility, I mean, I, I don't know that there's a more versatile back in the league. I thought, you know, I, I mean, Gurley was named the offensive player of the year last year. And I mean, it was no question that he should have been. I mean, you look at the touches, you look at the impact that he has on the game, um, not only running the football, but he's obviously a really good receiver. Um, I mean, you, you can't beat that, but Gurley did some really good things as well, not only running the football, but he sort of really flourished as a guy that could catch the, the, the football out of the backfield as well. So he definitely deserved the money. He's a kid that is from right up the road. Of course, we're in Raleigh. I wouldn't say right up the road, but he's, you know, he's from Tarboro, North Carolina, which is maybe about, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes from here or so. So, um, you know, but now he resets the whole running back market. But, you know, the interesting thing to me, um, I know quarterbacks have gotten paid. I mean, it, it, it really began. I mean, we've seen quarterbacks get paid. We saw Matt Ryan get paid. But in terms of guaranteed money, it began, uh, of course, with uh, Kirk Cousins, who got a fully guaranteed $84 million contract from the uh, the the Vikings. So uh, while Ryan Matt Ryan make may uh, make more per year, um, his contracts. It may mean you know Cousins' contract was fully fully guaranteed. As a matter of fact, as NFL camps now open up, so we're going to talk some National Football League today here on the program. Your participation here on from the press box to press row. We always love you to participate here on the program. Hit us up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. I'm currently checking the Twitter page right now, so follow us while you're there on Twitter as well or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number 2-R-O-W. Again, um, we are here manning both of those pages, and if you have something to say, we'll uh, try to get to your comment prior to the end of today's show. And then, of course, you can email us throughout the course of the week. Thank you to all of those listening to us on our great affiliates around the country that carry box to row. Those listening to us on Sirius XM channel 142. And of course, those listening to us around the world at box to row.com. You know, I mentioned the fact that Todd Gurley has sort of reset the running back market. Uh, you know, 
this is the interesting thing to me as far as running backs are concerned. We've seen the last two or three years where the value of running backs or the running back position in my estimation has been devalued, not from a talent perspective, but you're seeing where a lot more teams are using multiple running backs. Um, perhaps the day, well, I, I can't really say the days of the, of the one, one running back that's going to tote the rock uh, is going away. It seemed like it was in the money that the running backs were getting also, um, uh, 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 indicated that as well, but now you're seeing Gurley signing his contract. You got a guy like a Johnson there in uh, with the Cardinals. You have, of course, Le'Veon Bell, and and then you have Saquon Barkley, who was drafted second overall by the Giants. He's set to make eight million dollars. That's where he's slotted. But if you look at the the running back position the last couple of years, running backs really were not being taken that high in the NFL draft. So uh, you're seeing that running back position uh, sort of really coming back and the money is going to start to be there for running backs. I mean, I never subscribed to, um, you know, the, 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 the short span of running backs. I mean, yeah, they're going to take a lot of hits and we kind of get that. But to me, that was an excuse to, um, to devalue the position from a monetary standpoint. And again, Todd Gurley getting his money has reset that um, in terms of some guaranteed money going forward for some other running backs, uh, i.e. Johnson, uh, i.e. Bell, who are looking to get their payday. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back again. Still to come, more National Football League talk. I want to talk about Kawhi Leonard and DeMar Rosen. That trade didn't have a chance to talk about that. And we're going to have... Our HBCU Football Daily Podcast replay right here as From the Press Box to Press Row rolls on. It's Donald Ware, host of From the Press Box to Press Row. The biggest names are guests on Box to Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah, well, I'm just, you know, trying to get better every single day. You know, um, we've been through a lot as a team. And I enjoy playing with a great group of guys. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. This is Michael Vick. Hi, this is Layla Ali. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Skylar Diggins. Hey, it's Alex Morgan with the U.S. Women's Soccer Team. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused. Yeah, and I was really um, ready and serious. Just really, you know, excited. Missed any of these interviews? Then check us out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant radio. From the press box to press row and boxtorow.com, your HBCU sports leader. So to come here on from the press box to press row, going to have our HBCU football daily podcast. Listen back as uh, we want you to really get into the HBCU football daily podcast as we're now into the MEAC. We've already completed the CIAA, we've completed the SWAC, and we've completed all of those other independent teams. Of course, we've completed Tennessee State, and we've completed the likes of Texas College and Edward Waters, so on and so forth in terms of some of the previews and just getting you, you know, getting getting you set early. I mean, we're less now than 30 days away from the start 
of the HBCU football season. Of course, we've been doing this since June the 19th, so we're going to have a listen back for our HBCU football daily podcast. Also still to come here on the program, going to talk about the preseason predictions from the SIAC, the SWAC, and the CIAA, as well as the fact that Tennessee State has been picked to finish sixth in the OVC. I think that's a little low, but based upon uh, the Tigers' performance in the OVC last year, yes, a 6-5 and five record, but a, a losing record in the OVC, and they didn't do very well in the OVC, lost actually a lot of close games and lost some games they probably should not have lost, but I think they're going to bounce back. But um, while I don't think that Tennessee State's going to finish sixth, I, I mean, you know, when you look at what the Tigers did last year, I mean, it's, you know, you can't really argue with the fact that they were picked to finish six. I think, you know, I think they'll be in the top three. I think Tennessee State has the opportunity to be in the top three with the return of their quarterback, return of some receivers. Yeah, they lose Patrick Smith and receiver, but they got guys like Newbold and so on and so forth that are coming back. Running game should pick back up also this year. You know, I. One of the things I thought Tennessee State has always been able to do a good job of, and they have, and when we do these, you know, when we do these recruiting rankings, it's not a perfect science. Um, This is probably the only year um, that Tennessee State was not in our top 10. As a matter of fact, they've always been, Tennessee State, that is, has always been in the top five for the most part, but it's not, you know, Listen, at the end of the day, a lot of those guys are going to get redshirted anyway. They're not going to be guys that are going to come in and help you right away, at least high school guys. A lot of the obviously the the transfers can can have the ability to come in and help you right away. Plus, with Tennessee State, you remember how much that transfer quarterback Treon Harris was highlighted and and, and the hopes for him, well, he didn't. I mean, quite frankly, he just didn't have a good season at quarterback for Tennessee State. He now makes the move to wide receiver, and so as a matter of fact, what we're going to do, you're going to hear from Tennessee State head football coach Rod Reed in our HBCU football daily podcast. Listen back here on the program. Let's talk some National Football League here on the program. As a matter of fact, as camps have opened this week. And, um, you know, I, I, I think if I had to say who would win the Super Bowl this year, I mean, when is the last time we had a repeat Super Bowl winner? I mean, we could look. I, I think the Eagles pretty much surprised everybody. I mean, I'm a guy that really as a, you know, as a Skins fan, I mean, I follow the NFC East uh, as close as I do any other um, division. In the National Football League, and I never saw I never saw it coming at least prior to last season. Now, you obviously, as the season sort of went on and Carson Wentz progressed, um, you 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 had a feeling that hey, this is a a a, a uh, Eagles team that has an opportunity to do something really really special, and they ultimately did. Now, when Carson Wentz went down, I was one of those that said you have a guy like a Nick Foles that's coming in. He's had some experience. In the National Football League, he's had some up and downs. He's definitely had some up and downs. As a matter of fact, um, he left the Eagles. One of the things that I had forgotten because he had been so far in the background and then he ultimately went to the Rams 
And that was just a disaster. As a matter of fact, they were trying to figure out their quarterback situation there with the Rams. Um, that was just a disaster. He ultimately came back to the Eagles. And this was a guy that was a starter. But the thing that led me to believe that I thought that Nick Foles would come in because they already had a good offense. You already have a good offense. They have really, really good defense. You just needed someone to kind of come in. I, I realized Carson, Carson Wentz was making plays. I realized he had the numbers. But you just needed a guy to kind of come in and keep the ship moving the way it was and not to mess anything up. I think Nick and, – and to me, if you're a player – and you play quarterback in the National Football League, I don't care what the circumstance is, if in a given season you throw 27 touchdowns to two interceptions, um, that says something. I mean, that's going to go a long way. So even if you have some down seasons, and I think it was good for Foles that he had some of these experiences, that he ultimately uh, became a backup again, that he ultimately was traded or went to another team, meaning the Rams, did not have success there and came back to the Eagles as a backup. So now your whole mindset changes. The pressure isn't on you as much and you can, you know, you can get some things done. And I think that's ultimately what happened with Nick Foles. And again, to me, um, you know, I think for Eagles fans and I think for a lot of those in sports, this, because the Eagles were doing so well and because Wentz was doing so well, it was a situation where the sky was falling, if you will. And there was no way that the Eagles were going to be able to maintain what, in fact, they had been able to do. But you get, again, a guy to me that throws you know, whatever at the 27 or 25 or 27 touchdowns and only two interceptions in a season that has had some success in the league as a starter could come in and do what Nick Foles did. So it, it was no surprise to me. And then ultimately in the Super Bowl, he was able to get it done. And, you know, moving forward for the Eagles, I, I don't know that the Eagles, I don't think that the Eagles are going to repeat as Super Bowl champions, just because it's hard to do that. It's just hard to repeat. I mean, look, look at all the single years that the Patriots, as great as the Patriots have been over the last uh, 15 years plus, as great as they have been, you know, repeating as Super Bowl champions is extremely tough. Now, getting back there. Um, is tough, but not as hard as repeating. I don't think the Eagles will do it just based upon the fact, not talent-wise or anything like that, but I think that you know you have some teams um, in the NFC that are going to be really good. I think the Saints are going to be really good once again this year. I mean, I don't see anywhere where Drew Brees is really slowing down. Um, I think Minnesota is going to be good. I mean, I, you know, listen, I, 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 I don't know that. Kirk Cousins is an upgrade at quarterback for uh, especially with the season. I mean, <laughs> the Vikings had three legitimate quarterbacks last year, got all got rid of all three to bring in Cousins. I always maintain I thought Cousins had a good year last year. I think Cousins is a solid quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. Um, but the thing about it, he's going to fit into that Vikings offense because 
He's got weapons. They've got a lot of digs and all of those. They got a lot of weapons, a lot of guys to throw the football to a running game, a really good offensive line. And then when you look at it from a defensive standpoint, I mean, as long as Cousins doesn't go out there and make some of those mistakes that he's made throughout the course of his career, where where he 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 just throws in inexplicable interceptions. I think as long as he doesn't do that. I think I I like Minnesota. Actually, I I like Minnesota to win the Super Bowl this year, at least go to the Super Bowl uh, from the NFC this year. Again, you got to you have a a guy that's a good quarterback. You got it. He has good weapons. He has a really good offensive line. And then as a team, um, the Vikings are good in their defense is really, really good. So I like the Vikings. But 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 again, I think the Eagles are going to be good. Um uh, it, there's talk that Wentz possibly could start day one, and I think that's really good. You know, you know, because one of the one of the questions I was going to ask is if Wentz is not ready to play by week one, okay? But let's say, you know, I think if you're halfway through the season and you're the Eagles, and Wentz had not come back by that time, and the Eagles. Let's say they're seven and one with eight games into the season. Do you then make the change and go back to Wentz? I don't think you would do something like that. I think Wentz is still he well not. I think he is a young guy. He still has a lot of career left. Um, I just think you go you if you were in that situation if you were the Eagles you would just go you if it ain't broke don't fix it. If you're seven and one and now if now obviously if Foles is just not doing well and you're seven and one in spite of what he's doing, then obviously you would make that move. But if he's not, you know, you wouldn't make that move. But I think, you know, Wentz is is on track to come back a lot sooner than a lot of people thought. And also what went through my mind um, is and, and what's going what I'm thinking about now is the Eagles not rushing Wentz back. You have Foles, who was the Super Bowl MVP, who helped to lead your team once uh, Wentz went down last year. Who's a quarter? Who's played quarterback in this league and has had success? You don't want to rush him back. You don't want to have like an RG three situation uh, where you know he went down in the playoffs with that torn ACL, then tried to hurry up and rush back, and really his career never was the same. I know that Wentz and uh, and Wentz and RG three were two different quarterbacks, but still, you know, if you're the Eagles, you don't want to rush this thing. And we'll see if he's going to, in fact, be ready, meaning Wentz, ready to come back for week one. Up next, here on From the Press Box to Press Row, after getting your thoughts, hit me up on Facebook or on Twitter. Your thoughts, who you think is going to win the Super Bowl. Up next, let's talk some HBCU football. Talking some HBCU football here on the program. The CIAA had its media day some couple of weeks ago now. And in the Northern Division, and as a matter of fact, again, I'm promoting this thing because, I mean, it's really in-depth and you're going to hear from most of the coaches of the respective team. If you're a a fan of one of the teams, you're going to want to listen to our HBCU Football Daily Podcasts. And, of course, we've previewed all of the CIAA uh, teams. Well, actually, we have not previewed Lincoln of Pennsylvania as of yet, but the other 11 teams um, we have already previewed. But in the Northern Division, Bowie State has been picked to finish number one, followed by Virginia State at number two. And then that's the overall order 
uh, predicted order of finish. Bowie State number one, followed by Virginia State at number two, uh, Fayetteville State at number three, Winston-Salem State at number four, and Virginia Union um, at number five. And a lot of times it's rare when you have a team that won the the, the conference championship the year before and has a pretty good quarterback uh, coming back, as does the Virginia State Trojans, that they would not, in fact, be picked to finish number one. But I think with what everything that Bowie State has coming back, when you look at Amir Hall, who was the Boxer Offensive uh, Player of the Year last year um, at quarterback, I mean, he has been really, really steady. He comes back now um, for his senior season. I mean, this guy was absolutely phenomenal. You couple that with the fact that running the running back for Virginia State, Trenton Cannon, also a box to row All-America, six-round draft pick by the New York Jets is out. Even though I think Virginia State does have some pieces coming back, I think Bowie, I think it's right that Bowie State was picked to finish uh, number one. I think that for the Bulldogs, they're definitely going to have to be a lot better defensively. We know what they have offensively. We know what Amir Hall can do. Um, passing the football. He's a passer first, but he also has the ability to run the football. He has some weapons on the outside. He has a running game. He has an offensive line. Uh, you know, what, uh, what, what, what Damon Wilson has done there at Bowie State. Um, you know, if you think about where Bowie State, now not to get off a little bit, but just to give you some perspective as to where Bowie State as an athletics department was about 20 years ago, okay? I mean, it, you know, I don't want to say it was in shambles, but it, it wasn't it wasn't good. Um, and to where it is now, um, they've made some improvements on the stadium, on the field, um, on the turf. They've, they've put in turf now more recently, um, you know, and then in that area, I think in the DMV area, the football is starting to, the high school football is starting to get a whole lot better. I, I think... With respect to the DMV and, and, and football on the high school level, um, it has been more known as a as for basketball. I mean, that area is just much more known on the high school level for basketball. But I think the football, you've had some some really good athletes that have come through football wise. Um, but I think in that whole area, the football, the high school football is really starting to raise up. I mean, even though, you know, in, in, in what I consider DMV is more of the Washington area. But even if you look at Baltimore, I mean, you got, you know, Baltimore never Baltimore was always high school wise about basketball. But now you're seeing a lot of you're seeing some good football players coming out of the Baltimore area. So Bowie State able to really recruit, get a couple of those players to stay at home. And, you know, Bowie State's having to recruit. I mean, really, when you think about it against um, a lot of schools in that area, um, you know, D1 schools, um, University of Maryland, um, UVA, which is in Charlottesville, but obviously recruits heavily out of that area. Um, you know, but then you have some of the other FCS schools, um, you know, Richmond and obviously you have your you know, you have Morgan State um, and, and for them to be able to get the kind of talent level that they're getting, I think is pretty good. But I mean, I, I agree with the fact that Bowie State should be number one, but they're going to have to get it together defensively as they lost that game last year to Virginia State. Again, I think Virginia State is going to be pretty good um, this year. 
Um, you know, in, in what Reggie Barlow has been able to come in and do in just two years to win the CIAA championship. I mean, you, if you think about it, year one, I mean, that was a, you know, that was a Virginia State program that went um, not, it was either eight and three, I think it was nine and two, because remember they had that bonus game against Tuskegee. If you go back a couple of years ago, Tuskegee needed an extra game to be able to make themselves eligible for the Division II playoffs. And Virginia State, uh, you know, Virginia State spanked them. You know, Virginia, well, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that much of a blow. It may have been like 10 points. I think it was something like 45 to 35. But my point is what Reggie Barlow has been able to do with that program in just a short amount of time. And, yeah, he had Trenton Cannon, but he had to be able to identify the fact that, OK, I got to be able to get Trenton Cannon more touches. And if anybody would know, it would be Reggie Barlow who played in the National Football League. You talk about a guy that got a lot of touches, who was a versatile guy. That was, in fact, Reggie Barlow when he played. So he was able to get Trenton Cannon many more touches, not only running the football where he was explosive, has a lot of speed. As a matter of fact, they really like what he's doing with the Jets. Um, but he also uh, returned kickoffs and he also caught the football out of the backfield. So but you're not going to have Trenton Cannon this year. But I think, you know, Virginia State's going to rebound. But from a pure talent perspective, even though Virginia State won it last year, I think it's right. Um, when you have a guy like Amir Hall coming back for Bowie State. And so no no qualms, no problems at all with the fact that Bowie State was picked to win the CIAA's, um, win, picked to win it all. As a matter of fact, I mentioned one through five. Again, Bowie State, Virginia State, Fayetteville State, who I think is going to be pretty good this year. Winston-Salem State, I think it's going to bounce back a little bit. I think the CIAA's um, Southern Division has taken a big hit. We've seen this. If you go back, you know, five to seven years ago, the 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 Southern Division was dominant. Now the tables have been turned, and I don't I I, I think I don't I don't remember. I, I guess St. Augs had a had an even record. Everybody else had a losing record in the Southern Division. I think St. Augs was five and five. Uh, Winston may have gotten to may have gotten to five and five. Um, I know I'm pretty sure Fayetteville State. I don't have the the records in front of me. Um, you know, Fayetteville State had a had a winning record too. Obviously, going they were six and five, so only one team with a rent winning record um, in the Southern Division. And boy, have we had a real change in terms of uh, the the teams that are the cream of the crop in the CIAA overall. And now it's all about the Northern Division. But again, you got Bowie State number one, Virginia State number two, Fayetteville State number three. Winston-Salem State number four, and then Virginia Union number five. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think a lot of teams are sleeping on St. Augustine's this year. I think St. Augustine's is going to be pretty good. What Tim Chavis has been able to do, I mean, this was a team that was one game away and really points away, maybe four points away from playing in the CIAA championship game this year. I don't know um, that they'll uh, win the Western Division this year. Um, you know, I, I mean, I rightfully so. I think in, in terms of these selections, I think Fayetteville State has to be the team to pick. I do think Winston-Salem State is going to be improved, but I think a lot of people are sleeping on St. Augustine's this year and uh, what the Falcons could be able to do. And uh, but the Falcons have been picked to finish um, number six. Number seven is Chawan. 
think they're going to be better than they were last year. Number eight is Shaw. I think they're going to be better than they were last year. Number nine, Elizabeth City State. Hard to tell. Anthony Jones, you heard from him um, a a couple of weeks ago as part of our HBCU Football Daily Podcast. Uh, Listen back. He's new. He's just coming in there. Um, I think he, you know, but in terms of the personnel, I mean, when you lose a guy like a Daquan Neal at quarterback, um, that definitely hurts. So hard to say where Elizabeth City State's going to be. Johnson C. Smith at number 10. Um, tough, tough year for Kermit Blunt last year, no doubt about it. Um, I think I think he's going to bounce back, but I don't think he's going to be in or the the Golden Bulls going to be in the upper echelon of the CIAA at number 11 Livingstone. Very tough year last year. I didn't expect Livingstone to go 0-4 and they did. And no surprise that Lincoln was, in fact, picked to finish last in the conference. Um, So those are the CIAA predictions and my thoughts. What do you think about the CIAA this year? Hit me up. Via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Let's take a look at the SIAC and those rankings as in the East Division, Albany State was picked to finish first in the East, followed by Benedict at number two, Fort Valley State at number three, Morehouse at number four, and Clark Atlanta at number five. You know, I think that this is the year. And, you know, ever, you know, ever since Mike White left Albany State to get to Benedict or to go to Benedict, Benedict has improved. Benedict was knocking right on the door in the Eastern Division last year, much like I talked about St. Augustine's and the CIAA and and, and, and basically um, losing by about if they had four more points in a game, they would have played in the CIAA championship game last year. Same thing with Benedict last year also. But I think the tables are going to be turned this year. Um, I think it's going to be Benedict. I think Benedict wins the Eastern Division this year. Mike White has always preached uh, defense, and his defense was great last year. His defense was great. It's just that the offense wasn't good. The defense was great, I think, now in year three, that the defense is going to be right think the defense is going to be right. I like what Albany State did last year, but I think this is going to be the year that 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 Mike White gets over the hump against Albany State. And I like um, the Tigers to win the Eastern Division this year in the SIAC and to go on um, to the SIAC championship. Um, you know, Fort Valley State, Morehouse, Clark, I mean, all of those teams um, had their particular struggles uh, on last year, and uh, you know, I think this year uh, they may in fact struggle again in the Western Division. Tuskegee picked to win it, followed by Miles, then Kentucky State, Central State, and Lane. I mean, this was a Kentucky State program that just two years ago played in the SIAC championship game last year. Not very good. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Willie Slater there at Tuskegee. Hey, I mean that that's 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 going to be tough. Um, for for Miles, I think that there was a bigger gap this year between Tuskegee and Miles than we've seen in the last couple of years or so. I mean, other than Fort Valley State um, winning the SIAC championship um, two years ago, uh, Miles 
is, is it had either been between Tuskegee or Albany State for the most championships since the SIAC championship game had come into play back in 2011. But Miles also in that talk in that conversation, having won two SIAC championships also. But, I, you know, there was a big discrepancy last year between Tuskegee and Miles, bigger than it's been in the last couple of years, because a lot of times the two years that Miles won the SIAC championship, it's because they beat Tuskegee to go on to play in that championship game. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm OK with Tuskegee at number one, <clears throat> excuse me, followed by Miles at number two, um, Kentucky State at number three, Central State at number four and Lane. At number five, quickly, we're going to take a look um, at the uh, SWAC and um, obviously number one in the uh, Western Division um, is going to be Grambling. I mean, I I mean, I just think that's a, you know, no problems, no problems whatsoever um, with Grambling, uh, followed by Southern, then Prairie View A&M, Texas Southern and then Arkansas Pine Bluff in the east. Alcorn State's picked to win it, but I do like Alabama State, who's been picked at number two. Don't be surprised if Alabama State wins it. Jackson State at number three, Alabama A&M at number four, Mississippi Valley State at number five. We're closing this segment. More on the other side. It's Donald Ware. From the press box to press row. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. HBCU Football Daily Podcast. Listen back as we're now going to hear from the head football coach of Tennessee State, Rod Reed, in his ninth season as the head football coach and had a chance to catch up with him back on July 12th for Tennessee State's HBCU Football Daily Podcast. And earlier in the program, remember when I talked about the fact that Treon Harris, the highly touted transfer quarterback out of Florida, played last year, did not have the success. And Rod Reed was extremely candid about the fact of what happened with Harris there and also the fact that they've now moved him to wide receiver. And we talked also about a lot of other things back on July 12th. Here's Rod Reed, the head football coach of the Tennessee State Tigers from the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. Another winning season for you in 2017. Maybe, well, couldn't be the season you wanted. You guys started out 3-0 and and then lost four of your next five, but again, ultimately rebounded to have a winning season. Your thoughts on 2017? I thought it was a little disappointing. You know, we, we started out fast, and I thought that, you know, we had a great opportunity to get some things going. But, it's, you know, it's been, you know, that, that kind of trend, you know, the injury bug hit us a little bit. You know, Ebo went down for about uh, three or four games again with a real severe knee injury and was able, he was able to come back the latter half of the season. And then we had a change at quarterback uh, with Michael Hughes, our replacing Treon. And, uh, you know, that took a little a- adaptation. And, uh, you know, but we finally, we finished strong. And I think that we've got a great uh, junior class uh, coming back this year, junior, sophomore are really our strong suit. Now, we have some really good seniors. You know, we got about 10 seniors, not a whole lot, but our, our sophomore and junior class are really strong. Last thought on 2017. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to, um, you know, kind of get the point going, but I want people to kind of understand. I mean, if you look at some of the scores, 19 to 16, 21 to 17, 30 to 26, I mean, if you have, you know, what, 12, 13 more points, 
I mean, we're talking about only a two-loss season. And that that had to really bug you, right? Yeah, you know, I talked to our, our staff and our coaches. You know, we're probably about probably uh, a minute and a half away from, well, two minutes away from being a 9-2 and two football team. Uh, you know, we lost to EIU there in double overtime and uh, Austin Peay game. You know, we all if we need a first down. We get a first down. They got no more time out. They can run the clock out, and we make an errant kick. And uh, you know, they 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 run it back. We didn't kick the ball where we were supposed to. Uh, and you know, that that's nobody's fault but mine. <laughs> but uh, I got to do a better job preparing us to be able to finish in the fourth quarter. Uh, we lost a couple of games in the fourth quarter that I thought you know we had an opportunity to win. And that's a part of growing. That's the maturation process, but. We got a lot of pieces to that puzzle back. We lost a few guys on defense, but we do feel like we recruited well. And we got a couple of transfer guys to fill in some void spots. So, uh, you know, I, I'm up for the task. I think this team is, uh, they, they've done nothing but work this summer, no complaining. Uh, they've done everything we asked them to do. It's a great group of young guys. So I'm really excited about this upcoming season. You know, one of the things you've always done is recruited well, and then some of those pieces starting to show. For instance, a guy like a Michael Hughes, a quarterback who did well for you, came in middle of the season and did well, had the highest uh, efficiency rate in all of the OVC. But even before that, you know, you brought Treon Harris in as a transfer from Florida um, to play quarterback. He's now switched to wide receiver. Tell us about that, why that happened, and maybe that's the better overall move for the offense. I think it's a better overall move for the offense and him. Uh, you know, Treon has a lot of uh, great attributes, but, you know, to be a quarterback, there's certain things that are required. And uh, we just weren't getting that out of him, and he understood that. And uh, But we know that he's a kid that is explosive. He's probably one of the better athletes on the team. You watch him in winter conditioning, how explosive he is. We think his talents will be served well and wide out. And uh, Mike, Mike was just able to push the ball down the field a little bit better than Treon. And I think, you know, as Mike grows in the offense, and it was really like Mike being a, a redshirt freshman last year because that was his first year really ever playing. But, uh, you know, we're, we're able to use Tree in situations if we need to, and uh, I think it's going to be a great move for both of us. Rod Reed is the head football coach at Tennessee State in his seventh season. He joins us here on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. To the point, while you may lose a, a you know a Patrick Smith who had a, a, a solid season on last year, Stephen Newbold comes back. Chris Rowland probably is going to have uh, you know more responsibility in the offense. And now with Harris moving to that wide receiver, can you speak to this receiver core and how deep it is? I mean, I, I think that we, we're very deep at receiver. I think that, you know, uh, even a kid like Devon Johnson, we're expecting him to have a breakout. Yeah, he he um, uh, faced a lot of ankle injuries last year. He's he's gained about 10 pounds and still running really well. But, you know, you got Stephen Newbold. You got uh, a newcomer, Al Malik Moore, who we feel really good about. Lawrence Street. Uh, you know, Chris Rowland is extremely explosive. And we, we signed a junior college kid, Major Bellamy. Uh, out of yeah. Georgia military, yeah. he's a kid that we signed out of Gwinnett as a high school high schooler, uh, and we thought that he would be an FBS guy, but he decided he wanted to, you know, hang in there with us, and uh, he, you know, he's back here at Tennessee State also. So let's talk a little bit about Michael Hughes, and again, he 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 had a solid year. I mean, you can't say any more um, about that, and and it was really his first year, really his first year playing. He redshirted for you a, a couple of years. Speak to what. He brings to the table, and, and it's the kind of you know he's the kind of guy you you like the the bigger guy at six two two hundred thirty pounds. Yeah, oh yeah, Mike is a, it's going to be a real quarterback battle. Uh, you know, we got a kid that transferred in this year 
uh, from Minnesota that started the last seven games from them, Timmy uh, uh, Cross. Yeah. And uh, it was a great battle in the spring. You know, Mike, uh, again, brings a big arm. Uh, I think where Mike has done improve, he's, he's gotten a lot better in the classroom, studying film. Uh, matter of fact, you know, I've seen him in the building every day this summer, coming to watch film, uh, you know, on his own. And, and trying to get better in that, that aspect of it. Uh, he's trimmed down a little bit. He's weighing about 215 or 220 now, running a lot better. So we expect big things out of Mike. But uh, that, that quarterback position is going to be a pretty solid position, I believe, for us this year. Both guys come in with the same competitive uh, you know, uh, uh, grit that they had in the spring. Running back is that? I mean, if you, I mean, if you looked at the numbers, if I hadn't seen Tennessee State play, I would look at the numbers and say, okay, it was sort of a a running back by committee deal. Is that fair? Is that going to be the case, or is there somebody that that you that uh, that may stand out this year? Well, you know, and it was it was in my opinion that we were we were average at running back last year. Uh, you know, at best because we we had an injury, significant injury to our starter Earl Harrison. Uh, he missed the majority of the season last year. Uh, I don't think he played for two games. And then he had a really bad uh, toe injury, uh, foot injury, that uh, didn't allow him to play much. So Seth Rollins, Bree Curtis, you know, those guys, uh, uh, Knox, you know, they did it by committee. But we brought in a couple of guys this year that we feel also that can help us. Uh, DeMarco Corbin is a big kid, uh transfer kid out of uh, one of the junior colleges out in Iowa. He was at Illinois State, uh, played for them, and and ended up having to go, not doing so well there, having to go to junior college. He's a Texas kid. We were able to get him. Uh, he's a bigger back. He's probably about six one, you know, two hundred twenty five pounds. And then to Kendrick Robeson was a kid that we recruited out of high school and ended up going to. He was a late qualifier and went to Iowa Western, I believe. And he transferred back in and he had a solid spring. And he's a six. Six foot, two hundred pound running back, you know, with uh, some explosiveness. And then, you know, the guys that were there, Seth Rowland was there last year. Earl Harrison is back. Uh, Sean McCauley is a kid that we redshirted last year. Another big back. So we've got a few running backs. That's not uh, that's not a position that that we are uh, uh, hurting at. And we feel like we got a lot of talent at that that spot. And uh, if we can keep the first legs in the game, hopefully it'll improve our rushing attack. You know, you, you mentioned losing some guys on defense. Chris Collins, if my memory serves me correctly, was an all-conference guy. Ebo is gone. But, boy, man, and when I look at the roster, some of the guys that you have coming back, and they're going to have some years. Uh, you know, Cook comes back. Uh, Nesbeth. I mean, you got, you, you know, you, you lose, you're missing some guys or losing some guys, but you got some talent that's coming back also. Yeah, we, we ended up playing a lot of guys young. You know, Dejord Nesbeth is a kid to play young. He'll be, uh, I think, a junior this year. Uh, at corner, you know, Laquarius Cook will lead the secondary back there. I uh, had a surprise in the spring kid, uh, Nick Harper Jr. The name probably sounds familiar. His dad, uh, played with the Titans. You know, he walked onto the squad and had a really solid spring and ended up at the one or two spot at the corner position. So, uh, that was a pleasant surprise for us. And, and, uh, you know, at the, up along the D, D line, you know, Makai Brown from Alabama came in. Um, you know, we've got Jeremiah Kane, the Juco kid that, that's there. Then Khalil Jones is a young kid that we're really high on. I had played a little bit last year, but we're expected to step up. Michael Perry. Uh, so, and, and we got a transfer kid, uh, Landon Brazil from, uh, Cincinnati, a 6'5, 6'6, uh, defensive tackle kid, uh, 270 guy. So we feel pretty good about where we replenish. It's going to be how fast we can pick up the defense and hit the ground rolling. You know, those young linebackers, Blair was his back, uh, you know, Terry Strada came in at the midterm last year from uh, Carroll City down in Miami. Um, James Green played 
Force as a freshman last year. He's out of Orlando. Uh, Antoine Malone, you know, he's a wait-and-see guy. He had an off-season surgery, so we don't know how, you know, well he'll be able to go. But uh, Roderick Woods is a junior college guy at the linebacker spot. So we, we feel like that, that you know, we, we fill those positions really well. But, again, being new to the defense, Pritch was an old Batman, and, you know, and, and he was just really savvy. And losing Ebo, those guys don't come along but every so often. But uh, we feel like we got some guys that can uh, fill in. And, again, you can listen to that interview with Rod Reed, the head football coach at Tennessee State, in its entirety. Log on to our website at BoxToRow.com, and on the right-hand side, click on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast banner. You can listen to that interview or any of the interviews um, that we've had or any of our podcasts, I should say, that we've had. You can either listen right there online or you can download the podcast and take it with you where you go. Before we get out of here, on from the press box to press row, as I mentioned on next week, uh, we had a chance to take uh, to preview the SIAC uh, SWAC and the CIAA today mentioned the fact, and you heard uh, the fact that, well, you, we mentioned the fact that OVC uh, or, or that Tennessee State is, is picked to finish sixth in the OVC this year. We'll talk some MEAC football as the MEAC had its media day on Friday in Norfolk. And, and again, we're ready to rock and roll here on the program. You know, we're going to have you covered wall-to-wall HBCU football, wall-to-wall HBCU football interviews that you can't get anywhere, that you can only get, and stories, information, etc., that you can only get uh, on Box to Row and, of course, on our website at BoxToRow.com as we start to really, really crank things up again. We're inside of 30 days until Edward Waters, Purview A&M, and North Carolina A&T open respective seasons on August the 25th. I'll tell you what, um, you know, looking forward to this HBCU football season, um, and I hope you are too. And again, for more information on From the Press Box to Press Row, stay locked in to us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and also on our website at BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. Break every chain. Break every chain.